Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, rushing! Deep left field! This is Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Max Scherzer was awesome. Corbin Burns was not. Again. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball today on Tuesday, September 20th. Frank Stanfield joined by Scotty Dubs, Scott White, today on the show. Who is the SP1 for next season? I feel like... Nobody has earned that right. No one has taken it and ripped it away. So we'll get Scotty. Sandy Alcantara. Potentially in points leagues. I don't know. We'll talk about uh, it. Yeah, no, it's 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 a good it's a good question. It's a good maybe Jacob DeGrom again. Oh. I know whoever it is, I'm not drafting him in round one. And that may apply even in points leagues. I think I agree with you, Scott. <laughs> but we have a lot of time to evaluate all of that. I do have a dynasty question. Which baby tiger would you prefer in dynasty between Spencer Torkelson and Riley oh. Green? And we do have some uh, grade the seasons. <laughs> I thought you were talking about the actual animal. <laughs> baby tigers. Yeah, you know, they're baby tigers. Like famous litter at a zoo or something. Uh, something like that. Anyway, we'll get to all of it. Let's jump in. Oh, my good goodness gracious. Oh, my goodness gracious, Scott. You... Are up. Hmm. Okay, let's talk about Corbin Burns because he let a bunch of people down again today here in crunch time. Bad start against the Mets. Five earned runs and five and two-thirds innings. Struck out only four. And, you know, most of the damage came on a three-run homer to, to Pete Alonzo. So I'll make that excuse for Corbin Burns right up front. But... It doesn't change the fact that uh, in his past, oh, I forgot to write down the number. I think it's his past five starts, six starts. How long has these struggles been going on? I have post-All-Star break, which is 12 starts long, where he uh, now has well, a 4.69 ERA over that stretch. That's not the side I was, was going to give. Okay, so actually the past seven starts now for Corbin Burns, he has a 5.62 ERA. 127 whip, 9.1 K per nine. Yuck. And that's even including that eight inning, 14 strikeout effort a couple turns ago. So even with that one awesome outing in there, he still has an ERA approaching six in his last seven starts. And this is for the guy who, I mean, this is, this is why we say we don't know who's the top pitcher going to be drafted next year because Corbin Burns is not making a very strong case here. And crunch time. Now, like, is he broken? Is is this, how, how worried should we be about this? I mean, obviously it keeps happening, so that makes it concerning. But velocity is fine. Swinging strike rate is really good. For what it's worth, he blames pitch selection. He thinks, he, he says the stuff is right where he wants it to be. He just, he needs to pick his pitches better to put hitters away instead of giving up three run homers to Pete Alonzo. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Maybe there's a pitch tipping situation going on. I don't know. 
I don't think you can sit him. I mean, it, presuming you're locked in for this week already. Yeah. Uh, his next matchup is against the Reds. Even if you weren't locked in for this week, you're going to sit Corbin Burns against the Reds. I, I don't see how that's possible. And then next week, pre- presuming your season goes right through the last day of the season, he'll line up for uh, two starts against the Marlins and the Diamondbacks. You know yeah. what? Will he actually make that second start? I th- I'm going to count. I'm going to count up starts and make sure. I think he would because what I'm looking at is the Marlins on September 29th. Five days, five games after that. Well, I guess four starts after that. Two, three, four. That would take him to October 4th. So that's the second to last game of the season. And the Brewers might really need that game. So I, I would imagine that he will make at least three more starts. One against the Reds, one against the Marlins, and one against the Diamondbacks. Yeah, I think that's right. Yep. I think, I mean, obviously they could, if they fall out of the race or something, they could insert Jason Alexander again and he could uh, you know they could just skip Burns last turn but presuming everything goes as lined up Reds Marlins Diamondbacks as he has as what he has for the remainder of the season and since nothing seems that wrong other than the results itself I I just I, I think you go down with the ship and and hope that he turns things around he's inevitably going to turn things around you just hope it happens at, at, with enough time to still help you Mm-hmm. Brewers currently two and a half games out of the final wild card spot. So mathematically, they could be eliminated by then, uh, which you, you kind of alluded to, Scott. So um, there's a chance he doesn't make that last start. Uh, but we will see as we get closer to that one. Scott, do you watch your pitchers in fantasy when they are actually pitching? Sometimes. I feel like whenever <laughs> I do it, it ends poorly. I, I don't, yeah. it's happened all season long. Obviously, we had the wrong, the long running bit where I couldn't watch Charlie Morton anymore because, you know, every time I would watch him, he would get blown up and it just kind of turned out he had a bad season. But I just feel like, man, in the biggest spots, I have Corbin Burns in two head to head championship matchups right now. Watch the start and he just absolutely gets crushed. It, it's so deflating, man. And then I come on here and I gotta put on my smile and <laughs> try and act like I'm not angry at the world because of Corbin Burns, but... You'd be a little angry. You don't yeah. have to be happy all the time, Frank. I know. You, you show people you're a, a person with multitudes. Yeah. I always... <laughs> I always got to control myself with the tweets because I always just, like, as if it's going to, like, Corbin Burns is going to read it. He's not going to read it. Most likely not. But, uh, mm. yeah, I got I to gotta control myself there. You, you don't want to drop a bunch of F-bombs on Twitter? Are you, like... <laughs> Are you just like seething on the inside all the time, just trying to to keep it bottled up? Because that's, I don't know that that's healthy. Yeah. I think I might need a punching bag in my house or something like that because <laughs> I get I get pretty angry watching these starts. I, I dug into the numbers too, Scott. The second half is what I looked at. Um, 11 home runs has kind of been an issue. I noticed the home runs per nine, the home run per, uh, to fly ball ratio is up a little bit for Corbin Burns. It's just everything is kind of off around the margins. It's nothing that really stands out. The swinging strike rate is down like two and a half percentage points from 16.4% in the first half, 13.9% in the second half. The BABIP is up a little bit. The strand rate is down. I looked at the pitch mix. It's basically the same. I don't see anything like concrete wrong. So it's just like a little bit of everything seems to be off with Corbin Burns and mm-hmm. that's how he gets to this point. But I, I agree. I, I I don't think you can not play him. I'm playing him obviously in my matchups. It's just, it's really, really frustrating right now. On the other side, Max Scherzer obviously makes his return here and he was perfect in six innings pulled after six perfect innings because, you know, first start back gets uh 68 pitches in there. So they're obviously playing it safe with Max Scherzer, but he does uh, put up nine strikeouts in this one, 15 swinging strikes on 68 pitches. It's just a fantastic ratio. Seemingly amped up in the start for Scherzer because the velocity was up across the board. Fastball up 1.1 miles per hour. Slider up 1.5 miles per hour. The curve was up nearly one mile per hour as well. And now for the season, he is down to a 2.15 ERA, well over a strikeout per inning, 162 over 133 and two-thirds. Control has been fantastic. 23 walks and 21 starts. Swinging strike rate is still there. And that kind of leads me to the question I started the show with. I think Max Scherzer probably has as good of a claim to being the SP1 drafted next year as anybody. 
I think yeah. the only risk, Scott, is you know his age and the fact that he's been a little bit more prone to missing time the past couple of seasons. But mm-hmm. what do you think about that? Max Scherzer, yeah. SP1. Well, I, I mean, if I'm going to critique him specifically as, as the number one SP drafted next year, I would say, well, if you're going to take an old guy, why not just take Justin Verlander? I know Scherzer has been a more reliable or... or I, I don't know if reliable is the right word, but he has a higher strikeout rate than Verlander. But as you point out, he's been less durable than Verlander, and that's over a few years now uh, of of him, you know, not always being there when you want him there. So I think that alone would make me say, okay, probably Scherzer shouldn't be the number one starting pitcher drafted. But the thing is, like, it's not... It's not with clear enough reasoning that I really care. I, I I would say he'll be one of many pitchers who are good enough to be the top pitcher drafted, which is another reason why I'm probably not going to be the one who takes the first starting pitcher drafted because, yeah, you can make a case for Scherzer, Verlander, Sandy Alcantara, Shane McClanahan. I'm sure Corbin Burns will still be in that discussion. I'm sure Garrett Cole will still be in that discussion. And do I care that much which of those I get? No. And even the next year after them is pretty strong. So I am going to be uh, partying like it's 2009 next year. I'm just I'm just going back to my old my old drafting strategy in fantasy baseball that I had for the longest and then I executed most successfully, which is play the position tiers and wait as long as you can to fill starting pitcher. I think that's you know going back to the classics. I think I think that's MLB's trying to go back to the classics with his rule changes and I'm gonna go back to the classics with my drafting strategy because I think the way the league is evolving justifies it again. Just on the Scherzer versus Verlander conversation, I think I I trust the skills of Scherzer a little bit more, but you're right that I, I think it's probably just a, like a pretty big tier for that SP1, and you, you just want to wait until whoever is being drafted last, or if you do a salary cap draft, whoever, um, you know, whoever's thrown out first or going for the cheapest, you just kind of go for that player. But yeah, I think all of those names you mentioned, Scherzer, Burns, Cole, Sandy, Shane McClanahan, Verlander. There's like a tier. I think Zach Wheeler probably has you know, a claim in there somewhere. Too. I'd put him in the next tier, but okay. I mean, sure, he was a Cy Young contender last year, so it's like there there are pitchers beyond that top group of six. I think it is that we just named that could certainly contend for the Cy Young. Yeah, but I think uh, I think their ultimate upside is a little lower. I think you've got it right, though, Scotty. That's that's the early lean for drafting next year is, you know, just kind of wait and, and grab whichever pitcher uh, falls the furthest of those top. I think it's going to wind up being like 10 or 12. Like, Woodruff is in that mix, too. I still think he's really good. Shane Bieber has bounced back in a major way. I don't know. We'll, we'll have a long time to figure it out. But yeah, uh, I did have one Rodan. more. Yeah, Carl Rodon is amazing. Dylan Cease, we haven't even mentioned him yet. Is there's yep. there's a lot of really really great pitchers. Spencer Strider, I think someone will try and make the case for it. Uh, I did have another you know honorable mention for oh my goodness gracious. I don't think this matters much, but obviously it was a great performance for Tyler Alexander, who took a no hitter into the seventh inning at the Baltimore Orioles, where he wound up going at seven shutout, two hits, two walks, four strikeouts in that one. He did have just five swinging strikes, just a 22% CSW. That's called strikes plus whiffs. Not really sure how it happened. I, I didn't really see anything in the pitch mix. And even with this outing, he is a 4.91 ERA. His final two matchups are against the White Sox and the Twins. Does this matter, Scott? Tyler Alexander. No, no. I mean, 19 earned runs in his previous four starts. The odd seven shutout effort. You know, particularly since it's not like he was missing a bunch of bats or crazy, or anything crazy like that. No, you're gonna we can ignore Tyler Alexander. All right, let's jump into the waiver wire hitters. And man, we'll get to these names in a bit, Scott. But <laughs> nice day for your sleeper hitters, Carlos Santana. Awesome first day of the week. Uh, Michael Tolia also. Yeah, he's made the whole week. <laughs> like, yeah, I can't get the Carlos Santana pick wrong after he hits a grand slam and homers for a second time in the, the first. <laughs> The first game. And it was like the rest of the matchups are the ones I like for him more than what he faced in this one. Mm -hmm. We'll get to those in just a bit. I do want to mention first Eduardo Escobar just because he's 
more highly rostered, so he's more of like a shallow league ad at this point in the season than anything else, but he went two for three with a walk and a double, and now in 22 games since returning, he is batting 360 with six home runs, putting the ball in the air, hitting it relatively hard, 17% barrel rate during that time, but Joey Manessis, got. I know it's a tough week of matchups. This first game is up against Kyle Wright. Just kind of keeps doing his thing. Four for four here on Monday. Picks up his first steal of the season. He's still batting 325. He's got an OPS over 900. Who would you mm. prefer if you just need a corner infielder the rest of the way? Eduardo Escobar or Joey Manessis? I think I'd prefer Escobar. We talked about how the Nationals matchups for the final week of the season aren't great either. And matchups aren't everything. But if if we're saying matchups don't matter for Joey Manessis, then we're basically saying he's a stud. Right. And that's still that's still a little hard to accept accept. And I've been I've been as open minded about Joey Manessis as I think anybody. Uh prior to this four hit game, he had gone one for thirteen. Still, he's batting three fifteen in September, three twenty overall. He's been really good, and every time you think he might begin slowing down, he has a game like this. So uh, I'm just wanted to pull up the the Mets matchups to see if they were as bad as the Nationals for the final week of the season. They're not great. They're not great. You know, obviously, if you're not looking to fill third base specifically, since Manessas can't do that, I guess between him and Escobar, I would take Manessas, but. It's with some hesitation, clearly. Okay, would you take Escobar over Gunnar Henderson or Vinny Pasquantino, who we spoke about yesterday? No, not okay. a chance. All right, so if we're just ranking those, it's Gunnar, it's Vinny P, then you know Escobar, Manessas is, is kind of a toss-up, um, depending yeah, on... Yeah, slight edge to Manessas. Cool. Some deeper corner infielders, the ones I just mentioned, Carlos Santana... Two for five, double dong, grand slam. He now has multiple homers three times in his last eight games and up to 19 home runs total. Still widely available, obviously. These are, again, more more so deeper corner infielders. He's 16% rostered. Michael Tolia, I know he made the cut as a sleeper hitter as well. And mm-hmm. it's his final week, a full week of Coors Field. And it was yep. a, a game of firsts for him. He had two triples. I believe they came in the same inning, something wild like that, which... I heard them talking about it on the broadcast. It was some kind of historical feat. It sounds pretty crazy. Two triples in one inning. And they were his first two career triples. He also stole a base, which was his first steal of the uh, of his career as well. He strikes out a lot, but Michael Tolia puts the ball in the air a lot, which obviously will play well in Coors Field. Uh, what do you think, Scott? Santana versus Tolia. Rest of season, which is two and a half weeks. So they were not in the, the same inning. The triples. They were okay. in consecutive innings. Gotcha. Uh, so Tolia versus who did you say? Tolia versus Santana. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I want to start Tolia outside of Coors Field. The strikeouts are a major concern, but obviously Coors Field is a magical place that can make up for those shortcomings, as we saw in his first game back there. But the reason why... I doubt many people actually started him despite my recommendation is because of the four-game road trip that he was just coming off of. Tolia went 0 for 14 with eight strikeouts. His average exit velocity went from... it It was 92 miles per hour, which is really good, before that awful stretch of four games. And then it dropped to 88.2. So, which, you know, so tells you something about sample size, right? That his average exit velocity can change that much over a, a stretch of a few games. But yeah, I, I, I think once he leaves Colorado, we're not going to bother with Tolia the rest of this season. But I do think there's a chance he's somebody who impacts the ball hard enough that he, particularly with the help of, of that extremely favorable home environment, he can overcome a high strikeout rate. I'm hopeful. Anyway, I'm not I'm not saying he's going to be a stud, but that he can remain a few useful fantasy option. And if you just need a corner infielder or a utility bat or an outfielder in a daily lineup league for the rest of this week, man, Michael Tolia, again, he's got six more games in Coors Field. He is 2% rostered on Yahoo. So I know that's where many of the daily lineup leagues are 
played and uh, did have his splits pulled up in seven home games. He is batting 296 with an OPS over a thousand. In 10 road games, he's hitting 171 with a 559 OPS. That is Michael Tolia, and I, I'm pretty sure you could have guessed that just based on being a young Rockies hitter. Do you have the need for speed? You need some steals down the stretch? Well, there could be two names available for you. John Birdie, just a massive game here on Monday. He had a sock and two shoes, his fourth homer, and he's now up to 36 steals on the season. Since returning, however, from the IL, 30 games John Birdie has played. He's hitting 212. Uh, two homers, eight steals. He's 49% rostered. And Miles Straw has played well recently. He went one for two with two walks and two steals as well here on Monday. Last 15 games for him, he's hitting 389, three steals, nine runs scored, uh, 26% rostered. What do you think, Scott? Who would you prefer, Birdie or Straw, if you need steals down the stretch? Birdie. Even though he hasn't looked that great since returning? I mean, look at how, look what Miles Straw's been doing. Yeah. He he's what is he batting on the year? 218? That's pretty bad. And hasn't been nearly as consistent of 217 and hasn't been nearly as consistent of a base stealer as Birdie. Even I mean Birdie since returning from the IL has eight steals. True. So that's, you know, in less than two months' time. That's still like close to a 30 steal pace just just during that stretch since he's returned. Gosh. Uh meanwhile, Straw. Has three steals this month. He had two steals last month. He had two steals the month before. He had two steals the month before. So over the last two-thirds of the season, Miles Straw has a total of nine steals. <laughs> yeah. And John Birdie has that in his last 30 games. So Right. Uh, all right, yeah, fair enough. You win, Scott. If you need steals, uh, John Birdie, it is. And, you know, I didn't realize Miles Straw was really that bad. Um Coming into the year, I, I definitely got duped. I, I thought he was like a legit, pretty good hitter, good eye at the play. Yeah. I, I thought he had good contact skills and just everything went the, wrong. I, I thought the <laughs> same about Nicky Lopez. Remember those arguments we had? Nicky Lopez <laughs> versus Miles Straw. Uh, the answer was neither. And speaking <laughs> of which. The answer was John Birdie. Yes. The answer is always John Birdie if you need speed. Should any of these players be rostered in more leagues over the final couple weeks? Nick Gordon went two for four with his ninth home run. And in 44 games since the start of August, he's batting 301 with five homers, three steals. And we've pointed this out a few times. The StatCast data for Nick Gordon is actually pretty awesome. Just low key. Mm -hmm. 90th percentile expected slugging percentage. 81st percentile in average exit velocity. He is only 25% rostered. And, oh, Scott, say it with me. What's dead may never die. Joey Gallo, he's back. Not really. He went two for three, and he hit his 18th home run, but he now has six homers in 33 games with the Dodgers. He's playing a little bit better with them than, than he was with the Yankees. Uh, it's, it's hard to be much worse than, than he was with the Yankees. Uh, what do you think, Scott? Should, should these two be rostered in... More than 25 or 33% of leagues. Gordon, I mean, it's very, very slightly better with the Dodgers. He entered this game batting 170 with them versus 159 with the Yankees. Still better. So, I mean, it feels better (laughs) because expectations are so much lower now. Yeah. Uh, The Yankees gave up a bundle of prospects for him. The Dodgers gave up nothing. So, you don't like anything Gallo does is just gravy for them. But in fantasy, no, I don't think he's redeemed his value at all. Let's see, who else am I commenting on? Sorry. Nick Gordon. Nick Gordon, yeah. No, what's funny is if you gave Nick Gordon Gordon's stat cast data to Randy Arozarena, it would be like, okay, I can see why Randy Arozarena is putting up these numbers. If you gave... Randy Randy Arozarena's stack has data to Nick Gordon. It'd be like, okay, I can see why Nick Gordon's putting up these numbers. So I'm not really sure how to square that circle. But, I mean, clearly we've we've arrived at the point where we can just ignore the fact that StatCast doesn't, you know, that that Randy Arozarena, we we can accept that he just, he's just a guy who dramatically outperforms his his stack cast numbers and maybe Nick Gordon is the other way around. I would rather have Nick Gordon. Like if you're looking to fill a middle infield spot on the cheap. I think he's a better choice than uh, a lot of the guys we've talked about. Like unless you need steel specifically, I'd rather have Nick Gordon than John birdie. 
you know, if it's a points league scenario or whatever. Mm-hmm. But is he that good? Is he as good as StatCast suggests he should be? Probably not. Mm-hmm. And I assume Nick Gordon would be behind someone like Elvis Andrus and uh, Luis Arnjifo. That one feels pretty close. What do you think? Yeah, that's pretty close. Uh, probably Renhifo, but it wouldn't surprise me if Nick Gordon was actually the better of the two mm-hmm. to finish out the year. And while we're talking about middle infielders, I wanted to mention Jorge Mateo, who has really slowed down. His last 30 games, he's hitting 198, a 588 OPS during that time. He's down to 60% rostered. Probably should still hold him in category leagues just because it wouldn't surprise me if he steals five bases over the final two weeks, but... If you did pick him up in points leagues, this is Jorge Mateo. He could probably go. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I could see in Roto Leagues the fact he's eligible at shortstop and outfield and provides stolen bases when he is going well. That's the thing. I mean, just because he has been bad over the past two, three weeks, whatever it's been, doesn't mean he's going to be bad over the next two. And, and of course, we we know that assuming he will be his bad process in May and in June. But in September, you know, we kind of flake on that. Like somebody was asking me if they should sit Matt Olson for this week. I was like, no, he's still Matt Olson. Fortunately, he goes out and gets two hits. And so already that's seeming like the right move. But yeah, I mean, good players eventually come around. Is Jorge Mateo for sure a good player? No, but he he meets certain statistical needs in ways that few players can. I don't think this matters, but might be something to remember for deeper leagues next year. Probably only like NL only, but Brian De La Cruz went two for five with a grand slam. It was his 10th home run. He's got three homers over his last six games, and his stack has data is kind of interesting as well. 75th percentile in max exit velocity, He's got a 270 expected batting average, 469 expected slug. Wouldn't surprise me if he can never achieve his expected numbers just playing in Marlins Park, obviously, but it's clear at least this season, Brian De La Cruz impacts the ball pretty hard. So just probably someone to remember for next year, deeper leagues. He's 2% rostered. Uh, what do you think, Scott? Anything on him? Mm. I don't know that he's ever going to be like a true everyday player. Seems like more of a fourth outfielder type yeah. on a bad team in a bad ballpark. Yeah, I, I can't get that excited about Brian De La Cruz. They should have Jorge Soler back next year. Avisael Garcia, you know, both signed both guys to contracts uh, just last year. So presumably those guys will be back in the lineup on opening day for the Miami Marlins. Which baby tiger would you rather buy in Dynasty? No, not talking about. Well, I was going to say local petting zoo, but like you can't pet a tiger, I don't think. Like, right? That, no. That doesn't happen. I wouldn't. I, I can't imagine, no matter how young the tiger cubs are, any parent is letting their no. four year old in there to pet it. Uh, can you tell that I don't have kids? Because uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that I'd be very good at it. Spencer Torkelson went three for four with two doubles and three runs scored. He's doing some things since returning from the minors. Uh, 14 games played, 280 batting average, one homer, and 839 OPS. He's making a lot of contact, 14% strikeout rate. He's hitting the ball very hard, 95 mile per hour average exit velocity, and he's putting in the in the air, 13% barrel rate for Spencer Torkelson, albeit very small sample size. Riley Green has been, I would say, a pretty big letdown this year. 79 games played, He's kind of been in and out of the lineup. Obviously, you know, uh, started the season off wrong with, I believe it was a fracture in his foot. Is that I what think it was, that's guy? right, yeah. yeah. Um, but Riley Green, 253 batting average, five homers, one steal, four caught stealing, uh, sub-700 OPS. Stat cast data does not look great. He strikes out. He hits the ball on the ground a lot. But, you know, Scott, look, these are still, they're obviously not as highly regarded as they were entering the season, but they they had huge huge prospect pedigree, and mm-hmm. you know this off season Both. you you could look to buy low on these guys in dynasty. So I don't know. I guess give me your thoughts on each from like a long term perspective. And if you just had to choose one, would you go with Torque or Riley Green? Yeah, they were both consensus top five prospects overall coming into the year. Torkelson, of course, a former number one overall pick. Green was a former number five overall pick. 
I think drafting either next year is just is it, it's going to be a blind faith sort of pick. Just okay. I'm told this guy has a lot of upside. They obviously showed it in the minors. Maybe this is the year they come through and 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 break through with with the kind of numbers we were expecting from them all along. And there's nothing wrong with that if the price is right. Right? Like if we're talking a late round pick, I would I would invest a late round pick in either Torkelson or Green next year. Green being an outfielder playing the weaker position. I, I mean we're back, you know, when I was talking earlier about reverting to my old drafting strategy, which there was a heavy emphasis on position scarcity. Uh, you know, we're kind of talking about pitchers at the time, but that was the other half of that equation. Because first base stands out as clearly the deepest position in fantasy again, like it used to in the good old days. And so that's probably the biggest knock on Torkelson, just that he's exclusively a first baseman while Green is playing the outfield. But I am encouraged by the way Torkelson's looked since returning. Only the one home run, but the the, the walk-to-strikeout ratio is, I think it's, eight strikeouts to six walks. So he's really cut down on the strikeouts. And uh, you mentioned he's hitting the ball hard. He's showing over a tiny sample, he's showing signs of improvement. So I think that's very encouraging and all positions being equal. I'd rather have Torkelson than green for next year, just based on that. But green plays the outfield. So he's probably going to get drafted earlier. Is it something that you will actually try to do? I guess in your dynasty. Uh, it just depends what the going rate is. Oh, dynasty? Yeah. You're saying, well, dynasty is a different story. I don't think I don't think either of these players has lost a considerable amount of dynasty value. Mm-hmm. Depends how deep the league is. You know, if it's a shallow league, you kind of need those prospects to perform right away or they're going to lose a ton of value. But if it's a deep dynasty league, I don't think you're going to be able to buy that low on either of these players. Jared Kelnick's a different story. Oh, <laughs> you could probably buy really <laughs> low on him. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think we're there yet with Torkelson and Green. So that'd be a different story. But if we're talking just a redraft context, if either of them is, like I said, either one of them is available in the late round still, and it's it's hard to judge at this point whether they will be, then I'll be happy to take that chance on the upside, sure. All right, before we hit the break, just want to remind everyone to either subscribe if you haven't already to both the YouTube to the audio podcast, whether you listen on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen uh, throughout the offseason because we do have some fun content coming your way. Way too early rankings. We have lots of prospects and dynasty conversations coming your way. Hot stove will uh, heat up likely around December, January, a lot more things happening around then. May or may not have something fun planned for the Arizona Fall League this year, but uh, as the details come out about that, we will reveal them to you. So if you haven't subscribed, please do subscribe YouTube, follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, But if you already subscribe, don't leave because, again, we're going to have some fun stuff planned for you. Let's take a break, and we'll hit the news and notes here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we'd go in-depth with player analysis on fantasy baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. 
Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. The news and notes. Julio Rodriguez was out of the lineup Monday, but is like unlikely to require a stint on the IL. He is currently dealing with some lower back tightness. Tony Gonsolin threw a two-inning bullpen session on Monday with the team noting an increase in velocity. He's been out since August with a strained right forearm. And even if he could make his way back, it sounds like it would just be as a reliever. He doesn't have enough time to uh, build back up. Carl Sordan's next start was moved to Friday against the Diamondbacks due to a blister and a cracked nail on his left hand. The good news is that he avoids Coors Field. The bad news is that he's no longer a two-star pitcher. So, eh, I think I probably would still rather have the two starts, but eh, get healthy. We'll see you again on Friday. Carl Sordan. Tyler Anderson will be reinstated from the paternity list to start game two of Tuesday's doubleheader against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Luis Severino will return and start Wednesday against the Pirates. He built up to 57 pitches in his last rehab outing. Scott, would you start Severino if you have him in a daily lineup league on Wednesday against the Pirates? Uh, so he threw 57, you said, in the last rehab outing? Yeah, maybe he gets up to like 70, 75. The matchup is so good against the Pirates that I might risk it. It's it's risky. I mean, we don't really know how he's going to look until he gets out there. Mm-hmm. And sometimes pitchers are just a little off, even really good pitchers when they return from the IL from long absence like that. But the Pirates being such a weak matchup and the fact Severino actually did have something of a rehab assignment on like John Gray, let's say. Yeah, I'd lean yes on that. Severino, 84% rostered on CBS, 72% rostered on Yahoo. If you do have any type of start limit, I wouldn't use one of those starts on Severino, but if you're just trying to uh, pick up as much volume as you can, then I think it's okay against the Pirates. Chris Bryant took batting practice ahead of Monday's game with the Giants. He's been out since July 31st with plantar fasciitis. He's going to be an interesting one to try and rank next year because, man, the guy just cannot stay healthy, unfortunately. Freddie Peralta threw off a mound on Monday, the first time since hitting the IL a few weeks back with shoulder fatigue. Could be back before the end of the season with the Brewers. Trevor Rogers is dealing with a grade one lat strain and will be shut down for the remainder of the season, which we speculated on yesterday's podcast, but now it sounds like it is actually happening for sure. Sonny Gray left Monday's game after two innings due to right hamstring tightness. You know, Scott, as soon as we talk up Sonny Gray, he goes out and does something like this. <laughs> Can't trust the guy. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, we weren't counting on him getting injured. True. But yeah, it always felt like we were playing with fire. With that one, he was outperforming his ERA estimators and didn't have a particularly good swinging strike rate. Not even as good of a ground ball rate as in the past. But at some point, you just got to hop aboard and see where it takes you. And unfortunately, it drove off the tracks this time. Ah, Sonny Gray. Gets you every time. Tyler Glass now made another rehab start on Sunday, going two perfect innings with four strikeouts. Reports are that he feels, quote, very good. I'm not sure that he will make a fantasy impact this year, but I'm looking forward to seeing Tyler Glass now again next season. Brendan Rodgers, who was out of the lineup on Monday, will undergo an MRI on his left hamstring. Domingo Herman, who was moved to the bullpen this weekend, will likely rejoin the Yankees rotation with the injury to Frankie Montas. Cal Raleigh was out of the lineup on Monday with a jammed left thumb. Eric Lauer is a candidate to return and make a short start on Friday against the Reds. Aaron Ashby will be reinstated to start a bullpen game on Tuesday against the Mets. And no, you should not pick up Ashby. You should not look to stream him because A, he was not good before getting hurt. And this is likely to be a short stop, uh, short start. Only one or two innings uh, projected against the Mets on Tuesday. 
He's also been out since late August due to shoulder inflammation. That is Aaron Ashby. Tyler McGill was reinstated on Monday, but is only expected to work as a reliever for the Mets the rest of the season. Jorge Soler will not require off-season surgery and will take part in core strengthening work for the next three weeks before resuming baseball activities. He's been out since July with lower back spasms. Not really fantasy-related, but uh, congrats. We do have some teams clinching either divisions or playoff appearances. The Astros clinched the AL West. They will have a bye to the ALDS. And the Mets clinched a postseason appearance. Uh, does We don't know whether or not it's going to be the NL East or the wild card yet. So congratulations to those fan bases, the Mets and the Astros. A few prospect updates, Scotty. Uh, some promotions here towards the end of the season. The A's promoted Tyler Soderstrom and Zach Geloff to AAA. And the White Sox promoted Oscar Colas to AAA. And I don't know if you have any strong takes on any of these prospects, but I think there's a good chance we could see all of them at some point next season. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to Berger and Colas being in the White Sox lineup together. I think I see what you're going for there, Scott. Burger and cola. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's that's what we're doing. Um, that's it. That's it. But Oscar Colas, I mean, he, you know, we, he has he has done some things, and I know we've received some questions about him. So, yeah, no, he has. He um, he's hit for really high average, and power is supposed to be his like carrying tool. So that's been encouraging to see. Uh, so he's, he's a defector out of Cuba who also spent time in Japan. So he's well-traveled and has seen a lot of things for a 24 year old and, uh, has had a really productive first season in the minors. So yeah, I think, I think he's a pretty attractive dynasty asset. Mm. All right. That is Oscar Colas. Did want to check his strikeout rate. You don't want to ask me about Jake Berger though. (laughs) Uh, I think we've, no, we don't really know who Jake Berger is yet, but. He's kind of interesting. Unless you want I don't to know if it's going to happen, but it needs to. <laughs> I wish there was like a freeze. Do you have a be like Do you have a strong take on on Coca-Cola versus Pepsi? Well. <laughs> I I don't know how how much of a, a sponsor either is for CBS programming, but I'm pretty sure it's not existing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have a preference. I have a slight preference for Coca-Cola, but I, I don't mind either. I'm not one of those, oh, I got to have this. If you, if you offer me that other, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to splash it right back in your face. You know, <laughs> like, I'm not going to do that. They're both, you know, at, at times I'm in the mood for one or the other. Fair enough. Yeah, I think I prefer Pepsi, but same thing. It's, I don't know, I don't really, I don't drink dark soda that much. Ginger ale. That, that's where it's at. I don't know. Like the past two years, I don't know what has gotten into me, but it's, I try to, you know, ginger I, ale has gotten into you via your mouth. That's, that's exactly right. Ginger ale yep. is where it's at, man. I do like a good ginger ale. Anyway, let's get into the uh, rest of Monday's action. A little bit of a spin for next season as well. Which slugger do you want in 2023 between these two? I think I know the answer, but I'll ask it anyway. Austin Riley went one for three with his 37th home run and He has slowed down a little bit. The power still remains, but 44 games since the start of August. Austin Riley is batting uh, 226 during that time. I didn't really see anything in the underlying numbers. I think the Babbitt might just be a little bit unlucky. uh, 261 during that time. And Pete Alonso, the polar bear. He went one for four with a sock and a shoe. 36th home run, his fifth steal. I didn't know that he had any steals, so that was a pleasant surprise. Um, But... Pete Alonso on the season, batting 267, 853 OPS. He also has 118 RBI, which is just massive. Scott, Riley, <laughs> or Alonzo next season? I mean, just for position scarcity reasons, I got to say Riley. <laughs> Homer. <laughs> uh, you know what's funny? I don't, I don't know if that this is worth bringing up at all. But you're talking about Pete Alonso having five steals, and I was kind of thinking, oh, that could be 15 steals next year with all the rule changes and how much I think stolen bases are going to increase. And I don't know if that's really the case. Pete Alonso's not a fast guy. No. Austin Riley's sprint speed is 58th percentile. It's pretty good, actually. And yet, he does not have 
Oh, he has only two. He has two stolen bases this year. He has two stolen bases for his entire career, as a matter of fact, with that 58th percentile sprint speed. So I wonder if he's a guy, you know, just because he's fast enough to steal bases, if if he could benefit and, and be part of that democratization of stolen bases that I'm expecting to see next year with, you know, a dozen or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think where some of these slugger types can kind of literally just like walk or run into a few steals is when they play on a team that has other like fast players. So you get like that, that double steal action, which I think has really helped Freddie Freeman. I I would have to look into this, but I I think a good amount of Freddie Freeman's steals this season have come on double steals with Trey Turner. I just feel Hmm. like I've seen that happen quite a bit, but the Braves have a lot of fast guys and, and you know, like if they wanted to pull off a double steal here or there, whether it's Acuna or Ozzy Albies, Von Grissom, whatever it might be, I think they can do more of it. So uh, I was quickly. I can't believe we just had a conversation about Austin Riley steals potential. Yeah, right. <laughs> what are we doing? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. The Braves are fourteen. You know, it's it's uh what are we? It's Tuesday, September twentieth, right? So, September content. Yeah, yeah, we were just talking about Oakland's weather the other day, so we're we're, we're trying to figure stuff to talk about, but. The Braves are 14th in steals this season as a team. You know, I, I think that could probably even go up a little bit. So, yeah, who knows? Austin Riley, handful of steals next year. Scott's taking him over Pete Alonso. Yeah, it's pretty close. Yeah. Uh, let's grade the season, Scott. I have uh, three names here. We've we've done a few of these recently. Ahmed Rosario. I mentioned him recently, and you just kind of. Eh. I know you're not an Ahmed Rosario guy, but pretty massive game. A sock and two shoes for him as well. The same day, two different players, him and, and John Birdie. It's pretty crazy stuff. And to be clear, the sock is the home run. The yeah. shoes are the stolen bases. Yeah. 11 home runs now for Ahmed Rosario and 16 steals. He also had a massive Saturday. They had a doubleheader. He went 8 for 13. He hit a home run. He stole a base yeah. over those two games as well. But yeah. now batting 283, 11 homers, 16 steals, 79 runs, 67 RBI. He's kind of a five-category contributor, Scott. Like, doesn't really stand out anywhere, but just kind of does a little bit in everything. And if this is right, CBS has him ranked as the 76th overall player in Roto this year. It's pretty, it's pretty massive stuff. That's, that's um, I, I think, I think maybe by virtue of staying healthy, I don't know. That seems, yeah. uh, I can think of a lot more players than that that I'd want in Roto. Grade He's the, not. Great the season, Scott. Ahmed Rosario. The grade the season for Ahmad, uh, Ahmed Rosario? I mean, relative to expectations, it's probably like a B plus, A minus, I would say. Yeah. Uh, Sounds about right. I'm going to pull up. Maybe his, he'll be a 40 steel guy next season, just because why not? His preseason ADP was 234.2. And he's a top 100 player. So, yeah. Technically. I think I I think I agree with you there. It's um, it's you know it's, it's funny really as as hot as he's been. You know, with the eight eight hits in the doubleheader and the sock and two shoes, he's still batting just two eighty in September. Yeah, he he was pretty cold before that. I noticed. Yeah, and uh, I think I think the OBP is below three hundred for the month. So. No, I don't want to overstate his value, but he's he's certainly in those deep in in leagues like a standard Roto league that that start a lot of hitters. He's certainly he's he's certainly earned his lineup spot. Last point on the Guardians here, I I'm sure I was someone who also crushed them when they traded Francisco Lindor. Just didn't think the package was all that great at the time. But I mean, look at what Ahmed Rosario and Andres Jimenez are doing this season, and man. You know, it's it was a good trade for both sides. <laughs> I mean, at least knowing how the Guardians want to operate their team. Uh, so Do you know what Andres Jimenez' war is this year? I don't really know whether or not he's a good defender, um, but I'll say he's like a three win player, three or four win player, something like that. Is that you think he's a three or four win player this year? Okay, maybe okay. that's too high. I'm probably selling him too high. Mm-hmm. Too low. Ahmed Rosario's war this year, according to baseball reference, is 6.4. Ahmed Rosario? I, I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> wrong name. Andres Jimenez. Is that, were you, is that who you were answering for? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's who I was. I was Andres Jimenez. About. Okay, so that's who we were talking about all along. Sorry. Wow. Six point six point four for wow. Andres Jimenez. Jeez. Francisco Lindor has only had only one season with a WAR better than that in his career. What is Lindor's this year? If you have it pulled up, I don't know if you do. Five point three. Wow. Wow. All right. Well, good stuff for the Guardians. Like I was saying, you know, this turned out to be a pretty good trade for them. Next up, we have Ty France, who went two for four with his 20th home run, and he is on a bit of a, a, a power binge right now. Six homers over his last 19 games, and he's batting 272 overall, 77 RBI, only 57 runs scored, so I think that uh, pulls down his overall ranking quite a bit. Scott, great this season. Ty France. Hmm. Probably like a C when all said and done. You know, obviously he got off to a great start, was looking like one of the biggest finds, but it's been... It's been a rough finish, a rough second half, and it's kind of brought his numbers back down to, I think, what a lot of people, myself included, were expecting in the first place. All right, let's wrap up with Jose Altuve, who went two for four with his 25th home run. He's betting 292 on top of that. He's got 18 steals, 89 runs scored. RBI not great, 53, but he does lead off consistently for the Astros. Has a near 900 OPS and is the 31st overall player in Roto this season. Grade the season. Mm-hmm. Jose Altuve. A plus. I don't see how he possibly could have given us more than he has. He's yeah. even my, you know, I was pretty optimistic about Jose Altuve. I think I was one of the highest guys in the industry, so I can take a little bit of credit, I guess. Obviously, can take my share of blame for certain players too, but Altuve was one I was right about, and yet not even I saw the return of the stolen bases <laughs> yeah. for him. So yeah, that A plus, and I think... With Trey Turner losing second base eligibility and, you know, Ozzy Albies, we're, we're going to be a little unsure about him going into next season because of all the time he lost to injury. I, I think Jose Altuve, unless I'm overlooking somebody, he's going to be the first second baseman drafted. Man, I think you're probably right. Does, does Mookie Betts really have second base eligibility this year? Presently does. I mean, I know he's not going to have it next season, but. Well, I want to double check how far away he is from that. Mm. Um, Because I don't know how many times he's appeared at second base this year. Seven times. So, yeah, he's not going to be able to carry that over to next season. Interesting. But that doesn't mean he can't pick it up at some point next season. True. He says he likes playing second base. He says he prefers it to the outfield. Wow. Uh, Yeah. I wonder if he can kind of, maybe that's kind of uh, part of the the later half of, of his career situation. Mookie Betts um, back to second base. I, I know he played it in the minors coming up, right, Scott? Early on in his career, too? Yeah, that's, that's what he was in the minors prior to moving to the outfield. In fact, there was some uncertainty when he first got promoted to the Red Sox. Uh, they needed him in the outfield right away, but there was some uncertainty whether he'd stay there or move to the infield. Plus, moving to second base gets him closer to his buddy, Freddie Freeman, who everybody loves. So, that's it. That's who everybody loves, so. (laughs) All righty. Jose Altuve, last point on him. I could be wrong about this, but I still don't think he's going to get the respect that he deserves in drafts. I know. I don't know what's been going on with it, because it's... I feel like it's been a few years now. I Basically, ever since the uh, sign-stealing scandal, Mm -hmm. uh, the fantasy... I don't know that... I think at first I was blaming that. You know, the first year coming off of that, he was sliding in the rankings. Alex Bregman was sliding in the rankings. I think people were holding it against them performance-wise even. But I don't think that's the reason anymore. I don't know why he's sliding. He's he's not getting the respect he deserves in fantasy. I mean, he used to be. And I'm not saying he deserves to be a first-round pick anymore, but he no. in his prime he was, you know, uh, consistent first-round pick. I, I think at this stage of his career, you could make a case for him in round two, given yep. how scarce second base is, especially. Third round, the latest, and I just don't think that will be the case. Per, uh, again, could be wrong, but I think he probably winds up as like a fourth-round pick, something like that for Al- Altuve. I will have so much Jose Altuve if that's the case. We shall see. He does turn 33 in May next season, so some people might use that as a a point against Jose Altuve. Let's wrap up with some pitching leftovers. We've got the good, the bad, and the ugly. Of course, we will start with the good. Logan Gilbert posted a career-high 11 strikeouts at the Angels. He went six innings, one run, 11 Ks, 21 swinging strikes on 98 pitches, and 
Over his last four starts, he has allowed just two earned runs. 0.78 ERA, 34 strikeouts, just five walks, a 14% swinging strike rate during that time. And uh, he's really leaned into his slider. So just basically fastball slider. And it has worked for Logan Gilbert during that time. And what's funny about it is the sliders lost a couple miles per hour during that time too. So he's kind of changed the way he throws it in a way that's been more effective. I mean, you mentioned the last four starts, nine strikeouts or more in three of those four starts. And uh, for most of the season, his his whiff rate, his strikeout rate was pretty underwhelming. So he's he's kind of taken uh, he's kind of taking the next step in his development here. I think Logan Gilbert and will be probably drafted as a top thirty pitcher next year. I would say something like that. Yeah, top thirty, top thirty six. But in the SP three conversation, I think it's fair. A couple other good pitchers from Monday's action. Kyle Wright turned in a quality start against the Nationals. He went six innings, two runs, seven strikeouts in that one. Clayton Kershaw, great, once again, against the Diamondbacks. He went six innings, one run, 10 strikeouts, zero walks, with 19 swinging strikes on 94 pitches. And then Luis Garcia was okay against Tampa Bay. Five shutout with four strikeouts in that one. I kind of get this idea that Luis Garcia is always going to have more swinging strikes than the actual strikeouts or just the ratios say that he should have. But So kind of a Jordan Montgomery situation? Yeah, something like that for, for Luis Garcia. Yeah, maybe. But anything you'd like to add on him, Kershaw, and Kyle Wright? It was a nice bounce back star from Wright. He had been a little shaky lately. Um, but beyond that, you know, Clayton Kershaw is looking amazing. As usual, guys, what's what's dead will never die, right? <laughs> yes, Clayton Kershaw. The bad pitchers from Monday. Jose Suarez gave up five runs over five innings pitched, and Drew Rasmussen has now allowed four earned runs in each of his last two matchups. He went six innings, four runs allowed, three strikeouts against the Astros. Obviously, pretty tough matchup there. Edward Cabrera, lackluster performance, five innings, three runs, Four strikeouts. He now has exactly three walks in five of his last six outings. So as much as I love the stuff, the whiffs, the ground balls, the walks are just too big of a problem right now. 4.57 walks per nine for Edward Cabrera. And then Merrill Kelly, another mixed performance. I, I would say more bad than good. Four runs allowed over six innings pitched, seven strikeouts against the Dodgers. So you like to see the whiffs, but... Misses out on a quality start here. Gave up a lot of hard contact. He's got anything on uh, Merrill Kelly, Edward Cabrera, Drew Rasmussen, and Jose Suarez. So I mentioned this after Merrill Kelly's last start, and, it, and this is two in a row against the Dodgers, so you got to cut him some slack for that. Yep. But just how much it seems like this September hitting environment, which has been very favorable for home runs, just how much it seems to be hurting Merrill Kelly. Uh, because he's basically been the exact same pitcher he's been the past couple years. Just the home run rate has been down, and that's why he's had so much success. So in his last three... So let's do it this way. In his first 27 starts, Merrill Kelly allowed 10 home runs. In his past three starts, he's allowed seven home runs. Wow. Yeah. Not great uh, for uh, for our guy, Merrill and, Kelly. And yet he's he's still doing okay considering he's he's yeah. still going six innings consistently. And and as I mentioned, awful matchups the last two starts. So I don't know that we need to dump him, but it's just I find it interesting. We had the good, we had the bad. Lastly, we have the ugly. Scott, we'll give you credit for Carlos Santana, <laughs> but we won't give you credit for Wade Miley who. Turn back into Wade Miley against the Marlins. He gave up seven runs over three innings pitched. Three of those earned. Uh, there was a big error in the third inning, which uh, obviously caused the the inning to go on longer. And then he gave up a grand slam to uh, Brian De La Cruz. The mm. you know for look, he, I don't think he's good. But his final three matchups are against the Pirates, the Reds, and the Reds again. So if you picked up Wade Miley, I might hold on to him. But what do you think? Well. I mean, obviously, I lose faith after this start, but he's had a long, solid career of being, you know, kind of a kind of a streamable type in fantasy. So I don't think, you know, especially his as good as he looked in his first two starts off the IL. Uh, I don't think you 
I mean, it was, it wasn't one of those reluctant recommendations that, okay, I have to come up with 10 sleeper pitchers. So I'll mention Wade Miley to fill out the list. I actually picked him up and started him in a couple leagues myself, but yeah, it obviously backfired and velocity was down 1.6 on a couple of his pitches. So I don't know what that means. I, I would say even with favorable matchups, I'd be reluctant to use him just for that reason. To stream or not to stream for Tuesday. Brian Bayo at the Reds. Nick Lodolo versus the Red Sox. Adrian Sampson at the Marlins. Austin Voth versus the Tigers. Patrick Sandoval at the Rangers. Aaron Savali at the White Sox. Dylan Bundy at the Royals. And Dre Jameson at the Dodgers. It's a long list of names. I will say... Uh, who did we talk about last time we did this? Okay, so Nick Lodolo against the Red Sox. That's That's an easy one. Yeah. Patrick Sandoval at Texas. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. I don't think it's a must. I'm probably not going to bother with any of the others. Yeah, I, I would say if Sandoval and Lodolo are already gone, which is possible, I think Adrian Sampson's probably my next favorite, but don't really love him either. On Wednesday, we have Adrian Hauser versus the Mets, Drew Smiley at the Marlins, Matt Manning at the Orioles, Jordan Lyles versus the Tigers, Rowanzi Contreras at the Yankees in a revenge game. Bailey Ober at the Royals and Herman Marquez versus the Giants in Coors Field. Drew Smiley at the Marlins. I mean, there's still as good of a matchup as you'll find for a left-handed pitcher, despite what happened to Wade Miley. And not loving any of the others. If you're forcing me to pick one, I think I'm going to pick probably Bailey Ober at Kansas City. But that's, you know, don't feel great about that one. Take the Ober. We're going with Bailey. At Kansas City. Team name Tuesday. This one is from Tom. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto parts. Yow. <laughs> that was great. From you got that yow at the end. That's always my favorite part. Yeah. Uh, from Dale. How much would would a Waldachuk Grichuk? Oh my. <laughs> how much and they spelled wood as like Alex Wood. And, well, I don't know. That's how you spell the word. <laughs> yes, to be I, fair, I know. But, <laughs> but it, I guess, uh, yeah, wood. Alex Wood. Yeah. How much wood would a Waldachuk Richuk? All right. That's not bad. From Jeremy on Twitter to honor both Ahmed and Eddie hitting home runs on Monday, Super Rosario Brothers. Sure. From Neil and his four roommates who said, apologies in advance, it was late at night and our internet went out. They sent us what looks like, I don't know, 10 or 12 different team names here. Machado about nothing. Okay, sure. Everything everywhere, Alonzo Quants. Mm, that's that's strained. Sorry. I haven't have you watched that movie, Scott? I I, I haven't. I, I I've heard good I, things. Yeah. I definitely intend to at some point. Yeah. You spin me right round. Okay, with you and Wright both in there. That, that's fine. Lordess of the Springs. Is there a Lord of the Springs? Is that like what is that referring to? I think it's just Lord of the Rings. Oh, okay. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> Fun fact: I haven't seen a single Lord of the Rings movie in my life. It doesn't surprise me, but I haven't either. <laughs> oh man! For anyone listening uh, this late in the podcast, we're probably going to get some feedback for that one. Maybe we can watch them together. Just yeah. block out twelve hours for that. Yeah, yeah. let's uh, let's do a, a you know a whole day watch along with uh, with uh, our YouTube audience. <laughs> Two thousand Quan, a space mondesi. That's good. okay. I like that. Not bad. Yeah. You don't mess with the Yoan. <laughs> yeah, that that that's that actually works. Have and you, I know you like it. Have you seen that movie, Scott? No. Oh, it's good. I'm sure you think it's good. Yeah. <laughs> you don't mess with the Zohan. <laughs> disco, disco, good, good. Uh, bye bye, Birdie. Okay. Harold and Kumar go to Mountcastle. All right. Bayo watch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure. Why not? Rain McMahon. Uh, Rain McMahon. I don't know that I get that one. I think it's Rain Man, the movie, which I also haven't seen. Top Gun Patrick. I have seen Rain Man, at least. Uh, Top Gun Patrick. Top Gun Patrick. Where's the Patrick fit in with Top Gun? I think it's supposed to be Top Gun Maverick. 
All right. Okay. And it's just any Patrick no, Sandoval, like no. Patrick, whatever. Not good. Not good. Uh, Deuce Biggio, male Lodolo. <laughs> mm. I like where they were going with this one, but I think maybe we could have found better names. So you're a big fan of the Adam Sandler movies. What about the Rob Schneider movies? Big fan. Big fan. Yeah. <laughs> I watched Deuce Bigelow when I was too young to watch Deuce Bigelow, but it was, that movie's hilarious. Hot Chick mm-hmm. is also a movie I've, I've watched way too many times in my life. Uh, Arise Alive, Drive Ober. There's no way we're going to know what this is, but it's uh, Arrive Alive, Drive Sober, a huge ad can- uh, campaign in Ontario in Canada. Fraley, my dear, I don't give a damas. Okay. And lastly, um, last but certainly not least, Quan in the hand is better than two in the bush. Spelled like Michael Bush, who is not a major leaguer yet, but he's a prospect in the Dodgers organization. Unless there's another Bush they're referring to. Uh, I guess it it could be Bush Stadium, Cardinals, but... I think Michael Bush yeah. is probably the go-to there. Those were good. Those were really good. I, I appreciate that. Thank you, Neil. We're going to wrap there. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball Today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.